The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia is brought to you by Healthy Planet. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome to the Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host from her home studio is Dr. Claudia McKella. Good afternoon, Claudia. We're back talking about a couple of my favorite things, food and nutrition. Good afternoon, Tina. And yes, we are, because food is our best medicine. So joining us on the show today is Megan Telpner. She is the founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. It's an online nutrition certification program. So today we're going to learn all about how food can help heal you and live your best life. Welcome, Megan. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Everybody loves to talk about food. Everybody loves to eat food. I'm really curious to know what motivated you to create the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. My journey into the world of nutrition began a long, long time ago. Around 2006, I was dealing with some critical health issues myself, and that was what inspired me to take to the kitchen. Um, I was able to resolve my health challenges, and that inspired me to further my studies in nutrition. And ultimately, I loved learning about food. I loved learning about the body, but the part uh, that was missing was cooking. And without knowing how to create healthful meals and snacks for yourself seven days a week, health will always be just a little bit elusive. And that was what motivated me to start what was, at that time, back in 2008, an in-person cooking school here in downtown Toronto where I'm based. And uh, since that time, the, the, what are my offerings? My offerings have evolved. And in 2014, we launched the Academy of Culinary Nutrition as a completely 100% online school that offers a variety of courses um, that now reach students around the world in 65 countries. That sounds amazing. So it's completely online. How does that work? It's all video-based uh, video based classes, modules. So I'm doing the cooking, and we use food as the tool of our teaching. So I'm teaching about nutrition as I'm demonstrating how to use it, how to cook things for their greatest health benefit to make it delicious and easy so our students can watch the videos, they can cook along, they can get all the recipes. Um, depending on the course, some are more involved. Some have a program coach where there's assignments and actual deadlines with it. Some are self-paced. Uh, but we have incredible, incredible results of people gaining confidence in the kitchen and then for those in our certification program going on to start their own businesses, teaching, cooking, developing products, doing recipe creation, recipe writing, all kinds of really cool businesses. Okay, so I've got to ask another quick question. Is the Academy for the novice cook as well as that master chef? That's a great question. It is for everybody. So we have people who join us who've never set foot in that room in their apartment called the kitchen. Right on. Uh, we have chefs with <laughs> we have chefs with classic chef training, but don't know the nutrition aspect. Uh, we have physicians, nurses, other health practitioners who don't have the food component. So we have people from all different backgrounds and tons of concerned parents, teachers, people who just want to be able to nourish and feed their kids better. Um, so it's, it's everything, and, and we have different courses for different people. But in our main certification program, we have all kinds of people from, from you know, 17-year-olds just finishing high school to people who are in retirement wanting to start something new. 
I, that's a very, very interesting point that, you know, we all want to know how to cook and how to do things. And I think the one thing the pandemic really encouraged in all of us is that we really do have to start feeling comfortable in the kitchen and not resorting to frozen dinners. Um, if you had to pick one meal, I know this is kind of out there, but if you had to pick one simple thing that you could cook um, that would take maybe half an hour, is there one thing, like, you know, everybody feels like pizza is really easy, but, like, what is the one food that you anybody can make in a half an hour? There's a few different options. It depends Are you looking, like, from start to finish on the table in a half hour, in which case I would say go super simple, like, Make some chicken, steam some broccoli, make some rice. But the key with all of those is to make a few really, really good sauces or dressings at the start of the week so you have that ready to go. So a really great salad dressing, a really nice dip, and then that makes your dinner so easy. If you want something that's really quick to prep but you have time to be at home while it's cooking, there's nothing easier than like a roast chicken dinner where you're chopping up some veggies, putting the whole thing in the oven, letting it cook for an hour and a half. Um, alternately, I, I personally am a huge fan of one-pot meals, so using inspiration from more traditional curries where you're cutting up some chicken breast or tofu, a bunch of veggies, some coconut milk, a variety of spices like turmeric and cumin and a bit of cinnamon, and slow cooking that for, you know, even 20, 30 minutes. It's ready, and it is so good and so flavorful and so full of these powerful nutrients that fuel the cells of our body so we feel good and healthy and our defenses are up and our immune system's working and all the things our body is meant to do for us. Now, you mentioned being prepared and cooking in advance. Dr. Claudia does refer to those elements and those aspects of our home life a great deal in this show. She also talks a great deal about our addiction to sugar. And you have challenged people to get off sugar, to really eliminate it from the diet. How do we do that, and how can sugar hide in those everyday foods? Good question, and this is such an important topic as we move into what's called cold and flu season commonly. So sugar is present in nearly every packaged food you buy at the supermarket, whether it's a salad dressing, a cracker, processed like sliced meats. There's sugar added to nearly every shelf-stable food. And so one of the best things about eliminating sugar is it forces you to start eating less processed food. And what's really interesting about sugar is the more you have, the more you need in order to taste that sweet taste. So what I challenge people with, I have a program called the 7-Day No Sugar Challenge. What I challenge people with is getting off all sugars for seven days. And what it actually does is reset your taste buds so that if you do choose to reintroduce it, you need less of it to get that sweet flavor, that sweet taste, or you start to actually notice, oh, wait, apples are actually really sweet on their own, or these strawberries are so rich and flavorful because you're not overpowering your taste buds with processed refined sugar. I actually took it a step further. So a year and a half ago, I was sort of starting to feel kind of fatigued. My son was one and a half at the time, and I was trying to just get my normal sleeping rhythms, everything back on track, and I decided to eliminate sugar for a month, and then I kept it going, and I kept it going, and I still have not reintroduced any added sugar, and that included honey, maple syrup, you know, even the quote-unquote healthy sugars. Um, And what I found is that I absolutely have no cravings for sugar anymore. I just don't crave sweets or starchy carbs or cookies or any of that. Like, I didn't think that was ever going to happen, but it completely changed my taste buds. And why this matters so much right now 
is two reasons. Uh, glucose and vitamin C have a similar structure and can compete for uptake. So the more sugar you're taking in, the less vitamin C you're able to absorb. And we know that vitamin C is really important for the immune system. But also, 100 milligrams of sugar intake can suppress your immune system for up to five hours. So if we think about what we're all trying to do right now to stay well, eliminating sugar, though isn't an easy thing to do, is one of the simplest, most straightforward things we can do for our health to help our immune system stay functioning. So I want to add to that before I ask you another really loaded question. I often challenge my patients when I'm telling them to get off of sugar to do it for a week or two, uh, see how they feel, and then eat a banana. That banana will taste like the best thing ever. And you'll start to crave those types of foods like bananas and all those things that are really good for you. So I just thought I'd add that in there because I know that you can relate to that for sure. Um, but I also feel that everything we eat should essentially fuel our brain and make us feel energized because there's no point in eating food that's going to make you feel lethargic and you can't get on with your day or life. Um, so what are the common ingredients that help us, um, you know, fuel our brain? One of the most powerful fuel sources for the brain is fat and good sources of fat, not french fry fat, not fast food fat, but things like Omega-3s you'll find in walnuts and fish, the saturated fats in avocados, coconut oil. Um, I'm a huge fan of clarified butter or ghee, which comes from an Ayurvedic or ancient Indian um, practices and culture. And these fats are like the pure fuel for the brain that also stabilize mood, stabilize blood glucose levels or help keep them low in what really... Uh, challenges the brain is when we have this activation of the insulin adrenaline response by eating these processed sugary foods. So our energy is going up and down, our blood glucose levels are going up and down, and that puts a stress on the body and a stress on the brain and the nervous system. If we can keep that stable by eating really good quality sources of fat plus high amounts of protein and fiber or moderate amounts of protein and fiber but keeping down the refined or simple sugars, uh, we end up with a much more stable energy level, stable mood, stable and functioning nervous system, which you know has a direct impact also on the endocrine system, which will in directly in impact our, our, our mood stability. So it is all connected, but that fat is pure fuel for the brain. The brain is made of fat. And so we can have a French fry brain or we can have a walnut brain, and that <laughs> is just the choice of choosing this or choosing that instead. I like that stability that aspect. Line. Yeah, absolutely. Since we're officially in fall, and it certainly feels like it this weekend, what are your 10 essential tips for fall? There are, I mean, it's going to be different for different people. Um, I'm a big fan of warming up the smoothies. So when, you know, it's summer and we're getting fresh food, I love good cold smoothies. But as you go into winter, those are a little harder to take. So I often switch over to what I refer to as elixirs, where you're combining those good fats I spoke of with things like maybe turmeric to make a turmeric latte, or even, you know, a little bit of pureed pumpkin and some spices to make your own pumpkin spice latte. So there's different ways to warm up those smoothies and have them be warming, nourishing drinks. Uh, soup is a great go-to. I would recommend everyone have a good stock of either bone broth or veg broth or a combo of both. I love making my stocks, adding some seaweed and mushrooms. For um, The seaweed adds extra, extra minerals, 
the mushrooms have an immune modulating effect. So again, keeps going back to that immune system. But soups serve as a really quick and easy nourishing full meal when, when made well. You want to make sure you stay hydrated for sure. One of the things we want to switch over to in the fall is to eat more seasonal foods. I mean, I'm a fan of seasonal foods all year round, but this is when we get to play with the squashes and root vegetables and start enjoying those, especially, you know, here in Canada where we don't necessarily get access to seasonal food all year. Uh, This is the time to, you know, when all of our farms are in harvest mode. So let's get that good stuff in. Uh, Again, we want to support the immune system. And so with that, reducing that sugar, increasing the fluids, increasing those nutrient-dense vegetables. It's a good way to go forward with that. Um, Make sure you're getting a good brain-fueling breakfast in. So getting those good fats in in the morning will help keep that mood stable, uh, will reduce those sugar cravings, will keep us feeling well. I've I've lost count, um, but... Uh, I always say to make sure you've got some meal plans happening for the week. You know, fall is notoriously a really busy time of year, so get those plans made. It takes, you know, 45 minutes maybe to sit down, do that out, but it saves you so much time in the week. And often our health, our best health goals fail uh, when we are pressed for time. And, you know, we've talked about meal prep a little bit, and, and you mentioned that uh, you talk about it frequently. Um, it's one of the best investments you can make in the future self <laughs> in, in, the next, in the rest of the week. Um, and then some other basic tips that apply all year, like put down the devices, stop looking at the news right before bed, uh, get the blue light out of your field of vision for about an hour before you go to sleep because that blue light will negatively affect your circadian rhythms. And we're naturally inclined to sleep more as the days get shorter and the nights get longer. And all the artificial light affects that ability for us to fall into a deep sleep. Um, I can keep going if you want me to. I, I don't know how many that was. But I, I, actually, I, have a, I wanted to just clarify. So, for listeners who don't know how to transition from seasons in terms of like their meal planning. So what would be what is the reason why we should shift our food choices seasonally? What are the health benefits to doing that? You know, there's always benefit to eating food when it's picked fresh. So the closer something grows to where it's being sold, the 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 more fresh and ripe it is when it is picked and that will be the most nutrient dense. Uh, I believe very strongly in supporting local economies and local businesses and local growers. And, you know, that's a backbone of our, of our, the wealth, the health of our planet, of our planet. So there's that component of it. And there's something that we are naturally more inclined to. So in the summer, when there's tons of fresh lettuces and all these foods we can eat raw, we tend to also enjoy raw food more. I don't want a cold salad in November. I want something that is warm and hearty and has been slower cooked. And the foods that are local and seasonal to that time of year require that preparation method. So it's almost intuitive or like a natural transition that happens if you aim to eat seasonally. Of course, you could go and buy asparagus that was grown in South America or you know, get different fruits flown in from Africa and different places. But if you start to pay attention to what you have access to when it's available locally, um, you'll notice that there's definite flavor benefit, and that's the easiest thing to tell. Uh, there's cost efficiencies when you're eating seasonally. So there's, there's loads of reasons to do it. 
Well, I'm really excited because I want to learn more about the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, and I also want to learn more about how to keep myself, my patients, my community, and, of course, my family healthy. But if listeners want to do that, how can they find you? I'm personally at MeganTelpner.com, and I keep a personal blog there of things I'm thinking about and learning about. And everything for the Academy of Culinary Nutrition is over at CulinaryNutrition.com. Sounds great. When we come back, a virtual drop-in clinic for young people. That story is coming up. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059theregion or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia is brought to you by Healthy Planet. This is 105.9 The Region. 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. I'm Tina Cortez and over to Dr. Claudia with today's next guest. Joining us today on The Wellness Prescription is Jessica Corbett. She is a youth mental health worker with the Canadian Mental Health Association, York and South Simcoe. Jessica, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Before we talk about the Mobile Health Clinic, tell us about the CMHA, uh, York Region and South Simcoe, please. Of course. So the Canadian Mental Health Association uh, aims to support people in providing accessible and culturally competent care to those experiencing mental health within our community. So our programs support people in effectively managing their mental health and well-being by taking a collaborative and client-centered approach to their care. So throughout our several locations across York Region and South Simcoe, uh, we provide a wide range of services to support people with their recovery and are really dedicated to assisting people throughout their journeys. Um, some of our programs include case management, our employment programs, our housing programs. Um, we also have youth-specific programs, clinical therapy, family caregiver education, and mental health and justice, to name a few. And Jessica, can you tell us a little bit about your work specifically as a youth mental health worker? What exactly do you do? Of course, right. So as a youth mental health worker, I work within our MOBIS program. So MOBIS stands for Mobile York South Simcoe is, and is Ontario's first mobile youth walk-in clinic, which started in 2015. So our team provides free medical and counseling services to youth ages 12 to 25 that are accessible and confidential, all while driving around the region in a retrofitted RV. So our team is comprised of nurse practitioners, peer support specialists, and youth mental health workers who are all really passionate about supporting youth and really meeting them where they're at. Um, so prior to the pandemic, we were out in the community at high schools, youth shelters, and community centers um, providing services directly on our bus. Um, however, since the pandemic, we've shifted our support virtually through video conferencing and over the phone. Well, with the pandemic, um, I'm sure that things have really changed significantly. And you know, now that you are doing virtual, do you find that you had an increase in demand or an increase of numbers looking of number of individuals looking to utilize the services? Yeah, of course. So the pandemic has certainly impacted our ability to see clients in person out in the community. Um, but I would say that youth are still um, reaching out. Um, and definitely we are seeing numbers still. Um, since the inception of our program, uh, the Mobis team has really um, wanted to provide accessible care and support to youth. So thankfully our team was already quite 
familiar with virtual platforms, um, and the transition to virtual care was relatively straightforward to our team. Um, certainly there are aspects of our program that are a bit more challenging, like physical health assessments, for example, um, but our team is working really hard and diligently to support youth the best way that we can. Um, and so the Mobis team is continuing to connect with youth in ways that are most accessible for them, and it, that varies from person to person. Now, you said before the pandemic you would visit high schools, you would be out in the community. Is the virtual clinic actually more comfortable or acceptable to teens, to young people, because they feel much more comfortable on that platform? Yeah, I, I definitely think there's um, a lot of uh, teens and youth who are taking advantage of our virtual clinics and some who couldn't have accessed us before, whether you know their school schedule conflicted with our schedule when we were there. Um, and then we've also connected with clients um, you know, who we are previously connecting in with the school. So it's been a really great um, opportunity to connect with many clients, some that we've seen before and new ones as well. And so in, in terms of like the types of things that um, clients are presenting with, have you noticed that with the pandemic things have shifted to different concerns? Is anxiety on the rise or maybe a little bit of um, you know, depression? Have you noticed that those, those types of concerns are on, on the uprise? Yeah, definitely. I would say that our team uh, sees a wide range of health concerns, whether we were on or off the bus. Um, more specifically to medical, we're seeing, um, you know, different um, concerns related to primary care, um, diagnostic testing, prescriptions. Sometimes people don't want to, like, you know, go to their family doctor. It's quite difficult to get in with them. Um, providing health screening, also continuing to provide sexual health care and education. Um, and then more in terms of the counseling support, we are seeing a rise in stuff like anxiety and depression. Um, and then we're also supporting clients with stress management, uh, crisis intervention and suicide prevention, um, also problems with relationships. Everyone's been home, right? So there's sometimes more conflicts happening at home. Um, and then some of the things we're also seeing is substance use and addiction, so supporting uh, youth with those challenges as well. Um, and this pandemic has certainly brought up many challenges and stressors for youth. Um, and they're often expressing, you know, throughout this that they're feeling isolated or overwhelmed, um, uncertain, anxious, and, and at times even hopeless, right? So. Um, I think it's been a really great, um, you know, safe space for them to have that is accessible, that they can talk about some of these challenges. And whether that was done in person or through virtual means, I certainly think that it's still being accessed by youth. That sounds wonderful. And I want to backtrack a little bit. A little earlier on, you mentioned that the services are collaborative. I think for listeners, I just want to clarify. Let's describe a little bit what that means and what someone can expect when they, you know, offer, when they want to utilize the services. Of course. So um, like I had mentioned, we have three roles within our program and, and we certainly work within a multidisciplinary model. Um, so we have our nurse practitioner who is predominantly responsible for any kind of medical support or services or sexual health. Um, and then we also have our counseling roles too. So we have a peer support specialist. Um, who provides uh, supportive counseling um, and also uh, has lived mental health experience when, um, you know, when they're working with folks too. So they'll integrate that into their support um, when that's appropriate. 
Um, and then the youth mental health worker, uh, similar in terms of the counseling support, uh, but then also can support youth with accessing other services within the community too. Um, and we're certainly a small team, but definitely mighty, and we all work collaboratively to support clients. So sometimes we'll see uh, youth come in with a predominantly medical concern, but through their discussion with our nurse practitioner, um, we'll also kind of open the doors to mental health support too. So it's a really awesome, um, you know, kind of team moment where we can and support kind of internally and, and holistically as well. And Jessica, are there signs or symptoms that friends or family, a, a teacher, can look for in someone who may be struggling, especially in this new normal? Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, continuing to check in with each other is so important um, and really kind of is uh, varies from person to person, right? Like if people are seeming a little bit more down or seeming a little bit more anxious, right? I think a lot of folks, um, you know, are, are kind of struggling with even watching the news, right? Like if that's becoming distressing to people um, or, if, or if youth are seeming more down and connected um, and not really enjoying kind of activities that they used to, right? It can be really important for family, friends, teachers, just kind of anyone to check in with each other. This is certainly um, has been a really difficult time for, for many folks. And, and I think checking in has been, um, you know, such a, a great thing, whether it's, it's, you know, us checking in with our clients or even friends checking in with friends, right, and, and really kind of bridging that gap uh, so people don't feel alone and, you know, also normalizing some of the fears and uncertainties, um, you know, that, we, that we're all experiencing during this pandemic. I think that's wonderful, just checking in with everyone, regardless of whether they have expressed um, concerns or anxiety. I think it's really important to encourage everyone to take advantage and utilize the services of MOBIs, um, just either for yourselves or just let other people know about it. It's wonderful. If our listeners want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Awesome. So for those who are interested in our services or want to learn more information about our program, um, we invite people to visit our website at mobys.ca. So that's M-O-B-Y-S-S dot C-A. Or you can call or text our Mobys team at 289-879-2376. And we also have an Instagram page, which is Moby's Bus, so M-O-B-Y-S-S-B-U-S. That's great. Thank you, Jessica, for joining the show. And Dr. Claudia, please remind our listeners how to connect with you. You can find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Machiella or at my website, www.claudiamachiella.com. That's our show for previous broadcasts of The Wellness Prescription. Go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia was brought to you by Healthy Planet. This is 105.9 The Region.